0: Hey, let's meet up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as our consume series continues tonight. A couple of weeks ago, we launched this out of Hebrews chapter 12, which tells us to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer acceptable worship with reverence and offer. Our God is a consuming fire. So through that, we have collectively been seeking to become a people who are consumed by and with our God. So that being said, let's get right into what God has placed for us tonight. So bump somebody next to you and tell them don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. I know it's been a long week already. It's just Wednesday. You're tired. You're wore out. School is getting more and more brutal by the moment. Jobs have more and more demands. Practices are more and more demanding. I know some of you are tired. Don't fall asleep tonight because God's got something for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start reading. In verse 15, Paul is writing to these believers in this city, and he says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I may win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. Never the same again. That's the subject through which I want us to walk this message out tonight. Never the same again. When a life becomes consumed by and with Christ, everything about that life will be affected. In short, your life changes. When Jesus Christ enters in and redeems and restores and renews what was a once lost broken, rebellious soul. Everything about that life is affected and changed. From that point onward, it is never the same again. Jesus changes how you live. He changes how you act. He changes the way you think. He changes your motivations, your goals, your desires. Jesus changes all those things. And this is exactly what happened to Paul, who is the guy that's writing to these believers right here. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 9, If you want something to read later on in your spare time, you can go read and see the account in which Paul encountered Jesus, was convicted of his sins, repented of them, and surrendered his life to Christ. And from that moment on, he was never the same again. Jesus consumed him and Jesus changed him drastically. So what you need to understand about this guy, Paul, is that this man once persecuted believers. He despised the name of Jesus. He hated the church of God and everything that it stood for. He himself was conceited. He was arrogant. He was selfish. He was prideful. He was power hungry. He fiercely denied the reality of the Lordship of who Jesus really was. But on that particular day when he met Christ, everything changed. And his life from that moment on was completely different. This man that's writing these words to the Corinthians that we just read, isn't anything like what he used to be. You can almost hear it through his pen, can't you? This is a man who is consumed with all things Jesus. And his life through his words, they show us some things that I think are worth us taking in together tonight. And so I want to show you a few things about when you become consumed by Christ and you're never the same again. One of the things that changes about your life is that Jesus becomes your joy. If you go back and look in verse 15, kind of in the second half of that verse, Paul makes this statement, he says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So let's get some context. In the context of what all Paul has been saying to these people, he's talking about the calling that he had received from Christ, which was to be an apostle. And Paul's calling was a special one because his job was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, in case you need a little bit of a historical lesson, more than likely every single person in this room is a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so when Christ came to this earth, God sent him on a mission to redeem first and foremost his people, which would be the Jews, but not just them, also the Gentiles. And after Christ had ascended, Paul's calling was to be the first Jewish person to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So every single one of us in this room tonight should be thankful that God placed such a calling on Paul's life and that he was obedient to that call because had he not have been, we would not be sitting here tonight having heard the gospel message and knowing that Jesus had made a way for us to be redeemed. So tonight, because of Paul's obedience to Christ, what Christ did on the cross and what Paul did in following the calling that Christ placed upon his life, the gospel went to the Gentiles. So in context, he's talking about that calling that God has given him. Then he says something that I feel like might feel a little strange at first glance. He says, I would rather die than be deprived of boasting. Now, for those of us that are super spiritual in the room tonight, we know that as believers, we're not supposed to boast, right? But I, come on, Pastor, like, I, I know, what do you mean, boast? Deprived right of boasting. I'd rather die than, than not be able to boast. I thought we're not supposed to boast. I thought we're not supposed to be proud. I thought we're not supposed to be arrogant. Thought we're not supposed to look down our noses at people. And you are absolutely right, 100%. Paul isn't boasting in himself here. What Paul is talking about, the boasting he's talking about, is boasting about the joy and fulfillment he has and what he has seen God do in and through his life. Hey, listen, anytime you want to brag on Jesus, perfectly fine. There is absolutely nothing within God that is going to be upset if you brag about what he's done in your life. And so Paul, as he's speaking to these believers, he says, I would rather die than be deprived of being able to boast about what God has done in my life. Essentially saying, if I can't brag on my God, if I can't make much of him, if I can't glorify him with the service of my life, you might as well just kill me because life isn't worth living. Jesus had become the joy of Paul's life and he was all that mattered to him now. Listen to what he says elsewhere in Scripture. And these are all Paul's writings. So check out what he says in Galatians six fourteen. He says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:31, he says this, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Timothy one 12-14 says, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, in first, or excuse me, in Galatians chapter one and verse 13. I, I love this passage, especially when you consider what we're talking about who Paul was versus who he is now in Christ. He basically gives his testimony and speaks about the kind of person he was before he came to know Christ and the radical change that took place afterwards. He says this in verse 13. He says, You have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely jealous or zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Paul, as a sinner, saying, I know it's hard to believe that this change has taken place in my life, but I'm telling you, Jesus has radically changed who I am. He says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Paul's life was radically changed. Christ and he was consumed with him for him to look back at who he was and see now who he is in Christ and what God was using him for it was amazing to Paul and for him is if he couldn't share that joy with the people that he was around life wasn't worth living for him I mean think of all the things that he just ran down a persecutor of the church a hater of God's people Denying Christ's lordship. And yet in Galatians, we just heard him talk about how yet it, when it pleased God to reveal in the perfect timing his son to me, his grace overflowed. And my life has never been the same. Paul basically had, he was, he was listen, Paul was so far gone. I don't care how far gone you think you are tonight. Like, you would not exceed Paul in his sins As a matter of fact, he would go on to tell Timothy in one of the letters he wrote to him, Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the chief. He says, I had to convince people. My reputation was so bad. My sins were so dark. My life was so full of evil that I had to convince people. Not only that, I had to surround myself with others who would help me convince people that I truly had accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's how bad he hated Christ. And yet what we see is a man who is now madly and passionately in love with Christ. Listen, is is it not the same for us? Is this not to be true in our lives as well? For those of us who have received the salvation of Jesus, for those of us who know his love, you know his grace, you know his mercy, you know his forgiveness, you have been given a set-apart calling, a set-apart purpose, a set-apart destiny to know who you once were, to know who we once were walking as enemies of the cross living in sin and selfishness and bondage to our flesh bondage to addictions depression without hope or peace but to now be known as a new creation that should fill us with joy in Christ our savior man have you is Jesus your joy do you ever sit down and just reflect on who you once were before Christ entered into your life do you ever reflect on your old nature you ever reflect on your old flesh and think, man, to think of where I was and to see what Christ has done in my life, to see where I am now, it is truly an amazing grace that he has to bring me to the point where I'm at. Listen, I don't know if y'all did this. When I was a kid, I, I grew up in church, and I, and I don't take for granted that or assume that everybody in here has grown up inside church. But We had specific songs that they would teach you as a kid growing up in church, and one of the ones they taught us was, you know, I've got the joy, 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 Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? I see y'all got it. Some of y'all were raised in church too. Do you know the song? Like as Christians, as followers of Christ, we talk about this unspeakable joy, this unmatchable joy that we have that the world can't offer and they even teach us to sing the song as kids. And as kids, I think we really grasp that. We have a childlike faith and we walk around and we get in front of the church and we sing and we have a smile on our face. We really look like we have the joy, 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 joy down in our hearts. And then as we get older and life gets a little bit more rugged and a little more more rigid, like we'll still try and sing the song, but it's more like I've joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Some of us you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, you just need to tell your face. And they're not trying to be mean or ugly. So many believers confess and profess to have the joy of the Lord in their heart, but you don't see it anywhere on them. Well, let me remind you guys, like, like Paul said, if you ever lose the wonder and the amazement of your salvation in Christ, just think back to who you were before him. And when you stack that old self up against the new self that you are in Christ, It will restore the wonder of your amazement and what he has done to redeem your soul all over again. It is a miracle of God that anyone enters into the gates of heaven. We should be filled with joy. Jesus should become our joy, has he though? Is Jesus your joy? Guys, when I glance back over my life and I see where I once was to where God has now brought me, I promise you it's amazing what he's done. And those of us who are redeemed, each and every one of you have such a testimony of amazing grace of what God has done in your life. Let me ask you this. What's one thing you couldn't live without? Think about it for a minute. <laughs> and I'm like, don't try to be super spiritual with it right now. Like, I'm not, I'm not even asking, like, be real, okay? Like, as soon as I said that question, like, don't give me, like, the Sunday school answer or whatever. And I like, oh, Jesus, my Bible, I'm, I'm serious. Like, What's one thing that you couldn't live without? Think about it. What's one thing you couldn't live without? For me personally, if I'm being honest, I couldn't live without the outdoors. Like, if I, to, if I were to have to be locked up inside a building for the entirety of my life, just kill me. I can't stand. I cannot stand to be locked up. I get cabin fever worse than that. That's why I hate being sick and why like, I will refuse to accept sickness Until I absolutely cannot get up because I know I'm going to be confined to being inside. And I can't stand it. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever been sick for like a week's time? You can't stand to get outside and just feel the sunshine. Like you'll be on death's door like you've got the nastiest stomach virus ever. And you've been inside for like five days straight. But eventually you will crawl yourself out onto the porch just to feel the sunlight. Just to feel the grass on your feet or something like, that's me. If I, if I can't go outside anymore, then you might as well take me out. I would rather just die. Listen, when we become consumed by and with Christ, that's who he becomes to us. He is the one who we cannot live without. He's the one who we can't stand the thought of being deprived of. Paul was saying, if you rob me of my joy of telling others about my Jesus, then I can't live. I would rather just pass on to the next life. Psalm 34, says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have truly tasted of the goodness of God, nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will fulfill. Let Jesus become your joy tonight if he's not. And I'm speaking to those of you that are believers. Let Jesus become your joy again. Let him fill your heart with his goodness and his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Let him fill your heart with the purpose and the calling that he's placed upon your life to be a part of his kingdom and let others know about him. Let him be your joy. There's another thing that changes significantly about our lives when Christ enters in and that's that we have Jesus become our joy but we have the gospel become our reward. If you go back and look in verse 16, Paul says this. He says, for if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge. something interesting here that God has been teaching me specifically about the gospel. And I've been looking forward like all day long to sharing this specific thing with you because it's it's being transformative in my own life. And I'm praying that it will be in yours as well. But I've always looked at the gospel solely as a responsibility. Like as far as being a follower of Christ, I've always looked at the gospel as just solely being a responsibility. Something that that Christ has entrusted us with to go and share with the world. And that is true. One hundred percent. The gospel is our responsibility and has been entrusted to us by Christ to go and make disciples and share with them the good news of his love and his grace and his mercy. And Paul even says it here that, that it's a stewardship. And in 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse one, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So in other words, Paul says, as followers of Jesus, this is how people should regard us as stewards who carry around the message of the gospel. And so, yes, it is our responsibility 100% to share the gospel message. But God has been teaching me, and I think we see this here, that it's more than just our responsibility. It's our reward. Paul viewed being being given the message of the gospel as more than just a responsibility. He saw it as his reward. And so many people during his time, and so many people during our time as well, for that matter, attempt to profit off of Jesus. They see Jesus as a means to an end. And this is where you guys have to be very careful about the teaching that you allow to enter into your life, the kind of books that you pick up off the shelf because so many people out there see Jesus as an opportunity to make a buck. Listen, the world, I'm going to be blatantly honest with y'all, the world sees... Christians as suckers, and you have to be very, very careful because they will take advantage of you in any way that they can. And if they can exploit you for your money, you better believe they will do that 100%. And it can come in any variety of ways, like the most subtle of ways, to like the most blatantly obvious, ignorant of ways to us it may seem. But people go for it all the time. Like, have y'all? Do y'all? Does the name Peter pop off? Sound familiar to anybody in here? Nobody's ever seen Peter Popoff's commercial. He's got holy water, like a little glass of it, and he'll mail it to you so that you can receive financial blessing. You just got to financially bless him first. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, like, and people go for this stuff. He's got a whole average. Like, go look up the commercial after you leave here tonight. You're going to look at it and be shocked. You're going to be like, what? People really go for this stuff? like. But this guy's apparently made a living off of it. He's even got people that are in the commercial with him like, I called Peter Popoff, I got my holy water, and the next day I got a check for $75,000 in the mail. I'm like, good grief. Hey, you got to be careful. There are, the world will exploit you. The world will take advantage of you. People want to use the name of Jesus to make a profit. And Paul says, it's nothing like that. Yes, the gospel is my reward, but listen to what he's saying. He's saying that, that so many people are attempting to profit off the name of Jesus, but Paul shows that the gospel isn't given as something that will bring you material blessing. But even though it does not bring material blessing per se, it is still a prize nonetheless to be given it. Matthew chapter 13. Verses 44-46 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. The gospel is a reward. The gospel is a treasure. And yes, you may not ever see a financial return on your investment. And Paul's saying more than likely you won't. But that's why you've got to see it as more than just a responsibility. It is your reward that Christ has given you that is way more valuable than anything else the world could hand over to you. Way more valuable than any material blessing that you could ever experience in your life. You've got to see it as more than just a responsibility. And here's the big reason why. Here's the big reason why. Bump somebody next to you and tell them, wake wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up pulse check. i got to make sure y'all are still with me. Here's why you got to see it as more than just a responsibility. It's because we have such a tendency to turn responsibility into redundancy. We do this with our jobs. It's something that you do every single day. And a lot of times it's the same thing that you're doing every single day. It's the same responsibilities, the same expectation, the same end result, time and time again. It's a responsibility, but it's become redundant to you. You go to your job secondhand now, you never even think about it. It never even crosses your mind that when you wake up in the morning, you're headed to your job because it's just redundant. You just do it time and time again, over and over and over. We do this with school. We go to class, you don't don't have to think about going to class. You don't have to think about your schedule. You don't have to think about what you've got going on. You don't even have to think about where you're going on campus. You just mindlessly, without realizing it, your foot, your brain knows what's going on because you are in that mode and you just go from one class to the next and it becomes redundant. You know what to expect on Monday. You know what to expect on Tuesday. You know what to expect on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all the way across the board. It becomes redundant. We even do this with relationships. Our relationships can become redundant to us. Why? Because we're so familiar with the people that we're constantly around. And so we've got to be very careful because what this does is it cheapens the value we place on whatever it is we're responsible for. And so when your work becomes redundant, a lot of times it will lessen in its value because you don't put as much passion into it. When school becomes redundant to you, a lot of times your grades will slip because you no longer put as much passion or work into it. When your relationships become redundant, you'll stop working at them as hard. You'll You'll stop making as much as an effort to be present and to be available to your friends when they need you. Why? Because it becomes redundant to us and it cheapens the value that we place on it. So what ends up happening is we go through the motions And we just end up mindlessly fulfilling the obligation that we see in front of us. And if we're not careful, we'll see the gospel is merely our responsibility. And when we do so, we risk it becoming redundant to us. And in so doing, it cheapens its value to us. And we lose our passion for it, and we don't end up sharing it with others. We don't see it as a reward anymore, it's just a responsibility. I come to church, I sit in my small groups, so I read scripture, and I see all about how I'm supposed to take the gospel to the nations around me. I hear all about how I should be sharing the gospel with my friends in my dorms, on my teens, at my apartment, within my fraternity or my sorority. And I hear it time and time and time and time again, and I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know how I'm supposed to do it, but because I've heard it so much, it's become redundant to me. And I no longer see it as a reward that Christ has given to me, but an obligation and a responsibility that I just have to find a way to fulfill. And now do you see how difficult it becomes to share the gospel in that? You see how it cheapens the value of the gospel to us when we look at it in such a way? Be careful, guys, that you stop seeing the gospel as a reward that Christ has given you to share and to partake in. Here's how we do it. I'm going to give you the solution. This is why, this is why you got to see it as a reward because rewards are different. See, rewards we relish. Rewards are something that we're proud of. Rewards are something that that we're not bashful of putting on display for others to see. As a matter of fact, if you were to spend much time around my house, you could see all my baseball memorabilia, so to speak. All the things that I accomplished, game balls, trophies, accolades, all conference teams, all American teams, all that good stuff. Why? Because I got it on display. I'd be happy to tell you the story behind it. every single baseball that I have. Every single one you pick up has a story, and I would be more than happy to use up your entire afternoon telling you about the story behind that ball, if you even cared. But that's the thing about a reward. Most of the time, we'll share people the story behind it, whether they could have heard it or not. Why? Because we relish that. Because it means something to us, when we see the gospel as a reward given to us by Jesus, we'll relish in it. And like Paul, we'll want people to share in the blessings and the treasure that it is. And here's the thing. And you see that the, re- the, the gospel is such a reward. Let me ask you something you don't have to answer. Will people choose to reject the gospel? 100%. But when we see it as a reward... We'll share it with them regardless. Let them make the choice. Paul says, what is my reward? And then he answers it right after that, that I may preach the gospel. That's my reward. When Peter and John walked into the temple, as a matter of fact, we looked at their story just last week. But when they walked up to the temple, I didn't exactly go into detail about this particular part. As they were going to the temple, they encountered a man who was lame. And look at what happens. It says, And now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So he's asking for money. So seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them thinking he's going to get some jingle. Peter said, I have no silver and gold. What I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Peter and John told him, we don't have any money, but what we do have is something far greater. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. I can't give you silver. I can't give you gold. And even if, even if I were to give you that, that would be cheap in comparison to what I can truly give you. How about Jesus? How about that reward? Become consumed by Christ and his gospel will be what you see as a reward to relish, not just a responsibility. The gospel becomes your reward. One last thing as your life is radically changed by Jesus and never is the same again. Jesus becomes your joy, the gospel is your reward. Now people are your mission. Go back and look at verse 19, 1 Corinthians. Paul says, Though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I came like a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, and I might win weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I told you earlier that when Christ consumes a life, everything about that life is affected and changed. Your thoughts, your motivations, your desires, your Your passions, your purposes, everything. Jesus changes everything about a soul. All Paul used to care about was himself. How he could advance himself, how he could attain to a higher level, a higher status. As a matter of fact, listen to what he says about himself in Philippians chapter 3 verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as the zeal, a persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. So what Paul is doing is he is giving you his fleshly resume. He is talking about how impressive he was as a businessman, as a lawyer, as a teacher, as, as a leader amongst his people. He is laying out his laundry list of accomplishments and accolades because that's all he used to care about. But when he became consumed by Christ, all of that changed. So we keep going in the passage. Verse 7 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. All of those things that once mattered so greatly to him went in the trash after he met Jesus. That's what Christ does to a life. Gaining notoriety and status didn't matter to him anymore, his heritage didn't matter to him anymore. The titles that he once had gained and was even seeking after didn't matter to him anymore. All those things were no longer Paul's pursuit. People were. In 1 Corinthians, we don't see anything about who he is or what he's trying to gain or what he's trying to accomplish or all the things he's trying to set on his trophy shelf. He's talking about people. All he cared about and all he focused his time and energy and effort on was winning souls for Christ. In Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then in Acts in twenty twenty four, 24, pretty much summed up what Paul gave his life to. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This guy is not the same. And if nothing else, I hope I have painted that picture adequately for you tonight that the, the Paul that existed before Christ is gone. You can't make this stuff up. This guy was radically changed by the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And his life was completely different. He became consumed by him and the calling that was placed upon his life. You know, there's a funny thing about consumption. Most times, consumption leads to obsession. All it can take is just one time of experiencing something that later turns it into an obsession. Like, I'll give you a personal example. It only took me hitting a golf ball pure one time to be absolutely obsessed with playing the game. (laughs) Like, unhealthily obsessed. Like, I have to make sure I don't ruin my marriage, like, obsessed, because I'm going to the range, I'm working on my swing in the kitchen, like, Ashley's trying to use the spoon to stir the chili. I'm, like, off to the side, like. I mean, like, it it dominates everything. Like, Like, I've got some buddies that I play with, and we talk about how we have to keep each other in check because it will dominate our mentality, like, everything about our lives because we get so easily obsessed with it because we've become consumed by it. Listen, Paul was consumed by Christ, and in so doing, he became obsessed with people. Why? Because people were Jesus' mission, and his mission becomes our mission when our life becomes his life within us, and that's what Paul found to be true. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. People were his mission from the moment he came down from heaven. Every single one of you, every person that has walked across the span of the face of this earth was the mission of Jesus Christ to make a way available for that soul to experience salvation. And once Paul became consumed by Christ, he became consumed and obsessed with his same mission. To look around and see people around him, to see Jews, to see Gentiles, to see those under the law, to see those outside of the law, to see weak people, and he says, I become all things to all people. Why? That I might win some for Jesus Christ, that I might let them know that there is a God in heaven that so greatly loves them, even in their sin, and even in their rebellion, that he sent his son to die a brutal death on the cross and shed his perfect blood so that you could be redeemed, so that your old could be wiped away, and a new could be brought in, and you could experience life abundant in a way in which you have never experienced before. That was his mission. That's what he became obsessed with. Letting people know about the goodness or the grace of Christ. And listen, it's not wrong to have personal ambitions. It's not wrong to set goals for yourself. It's not wrong to have desires. It's not wrong to want to accomplish certain things in your life. Don't don't walk out of here tonight saying, well, Trey, I can't have any fun in my life. I just can't have personal goals. I can't, I can't want to accomplish anything. I can't have my own business. I can't, I can't go get married. I can't go. What, I'm not saying any of those things. You can have all the personal goals. You can be as ambitious as you want to be. But what I'm telling you is, is be very, very careful that you don't become consumed by those things and lose Christ in the process. You can do all those things and glorify Christ in the process. But don't forget the real mission of why we're here. This is one of the greatest reasons I desire us to become consumed with Christ because our consumption will lead to an obsession of carrying out the mission. What if we became obsessed with winning people for Jesus? Think about it. Think about what we could witness. Think about what we could see. Think about it in in a room this size. If every one of us became obsessed with winning people for Christ. You guys could see something happen on your campus that's never been experienced before. You guys could see stuff happen in your families that's never been experienced before. If you were to become obsessed with winning people for Christ, there's, a, there's an interesting weed that grows in certain situations and circumstances. And I want to show it to you. I want to show you a picture of it because it's quite gorgeous for a weed would you agree so what this is is this is fireweed and it gets its name because if you look at the trees around it like everything around seems dead and for the most part it is all those trees have been scorched by a wildfire that came through that place and so after a certain period of time this fireweed has grown up where that fire blew through. And it gets its name appropriately because typically it is the first forage to grow back after a fire decimates a certain area. I mean, look how gorgeous it is. It's beautiful. And when a fire burns through a place, you know, that place is never the same again. There's always going to be remnants of it. There's always going to be Parts of it that you can tell just have completely changed because of the fire burning through that place. For a time, everything's burned down. It's reduced to dust. It's reduced to ash. But what grows back, what I'm trying to get you to see, is that what grows back is always a fuller beauty. A few weeks prior, there would have been nothing but dust. There would have been nothing but ash, But a few weeks goes by, what has grown back is a fuller beauty than what that forest previously had. And when the fire of God blows through our lives, what I'm saying is we're never the same again. There's some stuff that gets burnt up. There's some stuff that gets torn down. There's some stuff that gets removed. And for a time, it might not look the best. For a time, it might look completely decimated. For a time, it might look as if there's no life in that place. But well, what I'm telling you is that after Christ blows through your life and everything changes, what's once there is gone, but what grew back is so much more beautiful. What he grows back in your life is so much greater than what was there previously. Listen, as his people, we've got a joy and we've got a reward. and We've got a mission. And it's time that we become consumed with those things. Make Jesus your joy, see the gospel as your reward and carry out the mission, men and women of God, that he has given us to go and share this good news of Christ with the world around us. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.